Hey, everybody. My name is Patrick Miller. I'm one of the pastors here at The Crossing, uh, but I have a deep, profound love for Veritas and all of you, who you are, what you're doing. That's in part because I became a Christian when I was 19 through this ministry, the very first year that it started, actually. And in a lot of ways, it's because I was surrounded by people who let me ask really hard questions. They listened. They came alongside me. They were friends. And I'm so grateful for what Veritas did in my life. And I'm, I'm sure it's doing similar things in your life as well. Um, just a little bit about me. Uh, I, I'm a dad. I, again, I work here, but I've got two kiddos. I've got a daughter who's in first grade. I've got a son who's four years old. Now, my son, his name's Oliver, and his favorite song is uh, Humble by Kendrick Lamar. Now, I promise you, I do not drive around the car uh, with my four-year-old listening to Uncut Kendrick. I don't know how he heard this song, uh, but he started telling us at some point that Humble was his favorite song. Now, my second promise is this. I didn't make him listen to it to try to get him to be humble, uh, but there's nothing like hearing your four-year-old yell at you, sit down, be humble. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's kind of right, though, you know. We, we, we are called to humility. And I've been a Christian for long enough now that I can say that, you know what, sometimes Christians are bad at being humble. In fact, specifically, sometimes Christians are bad at admitting when they're wrong. Why? Why are Christians Sometimes bad at admitting when they're wrong. I'm not just asking for a friend. I'm asking for myself. Because in a lot of ways, I have a hard time admitting when I'm wrong. But again, I've been at this for long enough that I've seen it in lots of people. I've seen it on every side of the political aisle. I remember a few years ago, I was leading a Bible study for women. And this sweet old lady came up to me. And she was really nice, but she was really concerned. She said, hey, I I love the Bible study, but I've got one big concern. You're a pastor. You're a preacher. Your job is to preach the gospel, but you keep talking about race and racial reconciliation and racial justice in this Bible study. You should be talking about the gospel. Why do you keep talking about grace? I have read through the New Testament more times than I can count, and I can tell you this. I have not read a single passage in the New Testament that says anything about race. So why do you talk about it so much? Now, I just kind of had to sit there and smile through gritted teeth because she was really confident and she was really confidently wrong. Most scholars estimate that the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the letters that are in the New Testament, he spent about one third of those letters talking about, you guessed it, race, ethnicity, and the fact that the Jews and Gentiles who were all part of these early Christian communities had a hard time getting along and worshiping alongside one another. And so as it turned out, I was going through one of Paul's letters. As it turned out, the Bible has a lot to say. She was confident, but she was wrong. And she had a really hard time admitting that she was wrong when I tried to gently explain that to her. But she's not the only person I met like that. Uh, On Twitter, recently, I I saw something posted, and, and I'll read you the post. Uh, once it pops up, there we go. Uh, Jesus taught that, this is what it said. Jesus taught that love is love, that white supremacy is real, that gender is a construct, that religion is toxic, that sex is good, that without justice there is no peace. And I watched as a lot of Christians retweeted this post very confidently as though it were true. They were really confident, but is it right that without justice there is no peace? Jesus taught that Uh, When someone hit one side of your cheek, you turn the other cheek. He said that when the Romans came and took the cloak off your back, he said, here's my shoes. (laughs) Take them along 
with you. You see, some of these things might have been things that Jesus said, but a lot of them you can't find on the lips of Jesus. They were really, really confident. This is what Jesus said. These are the words of Jesus. But they were Christians, and they were wrong, and they had a really hard time when confronted, admitting that they're wrong. And again, that's me. (laughs) Maybe it's you. Maybe you have a hard time admitting when you're wrong. And so as I've been thinking about this in my own life, because I like debating ideas with people and talking about things, I, I started to ask myself the question, why do I have such a hard time admitting when I'm wrong? And as I thought through this, I realized there were all these different layers to why I had a hard time admitting that I was wrong. And at the bottom of it, it took me to Jesus. So I want to help you go on that exact same journey that I went on. Just exploring why. Why is it so hard for Christians to admit that we're wrong? And the first reason is this. It's because ignorance makes you confident. Ignorance makes you confident. Charles Darwin, he put this really well. He said, ignorance more frequently begets confidence than does knowledge. It's a great quote. And as it turns out, this has been researched endlessly, and it's totally true. In fact, there's a word for this. It's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. You can, you can impress your friends one day and talk about the Dunning-Kruger effect. And, and what these researchers did is they went and they found some managers. Who, who here's had a manager in your life? Anybody worked? Okay, yeah. Now, who's had a competent manager? Okay, a handful of you. There's some good managers. There's also some not good managers out there. We've probably experienced both of them. Uh, But what they did is they found these managers, and they asked each individual manager, um, would you please uh, rate your own competency in your management skills? The managers rated it. And then they compared their self-ratings to their actual competency ratings. And as it turned out, the managers who gave themselves the highest ratings were the least competent. (laughs) It was confident in competence. And as it turns out, this is true of all of us. Again, there's a little chart that someone put together to describe the Dunning-Kruger effect. And and here's what it's trying to say. If someone asks you something and you know nothing about it, you will more likely than not say that you know nothing about it. You'll have no confidence, right? So if I ask you about a topic you've never thought on, you'll say, I've never thought about that. I don't know what I think. But people rate their confidence the highest when their competence, that's down there, when their competence is the most amateur. The less you know, if you have like an amateur level, like I read a news article about it, that's called being an amateur, I read a news article, you will be really confident that you know everything you need to know. And as it turns out, experts, the more you get to know, the more, well, what happens is you actually rate your competence accurately. If you have a medium level of knowledge in an area, you'll say, yeah, I've kind of got a medium understanding of it. And as your expertise grows, you will probably never say I'm totally confident about something, but you'll be able to say, hey, this is where I kind of lie. You see, as it turns out, ignorance begets a lot of confidence, which is part of why it's really hard to admit when you're wrong. Because you see the nub of the problem. If I'm ignorant about something, how can I know that I'm wrong about it? (laughs) How can I know that I'm wrong about it, especially if I am this uh, confident? You see, at the end of the day, we can say that Christians have a hard time admitting that they're wrong, but here's the truth. It's kind of a human problem, isn't it? It's not just Christians. It's all of us that have a hard time admitting it. But here's the part that should surprise us for Christians. This shouldn't be true of Christians. Because the Bible tells us again and again, in the words of Kendrick Lamar, sit down, be humble. (laughs) The Bible tells us again and again that we should be careful about being ignorant and confident. In fact, the book of Proverbs, this is a little collection of sayings of wisdom, little pithy sayings. This is what one of the Proverbs says. Uh, the, The wise man writes this. The way of the fool is right in his own 
eyes. And so we see here, right, there's this idea of competence. There's an idea of I have an idea and I think it's true and it seems wise in my own eyes, but that's the way of the fool. There's another one. It's a psalm from the sons of Korah. So um, back in the day, people would get together and write songs. And these guys called the, song, the sons of Korah, they wrote a song together. And while this one's just kind of nice, this next one gets, goes a little hard. So we'll read this. It says, this is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. That's the bad place. Uh, death shall be their shepherd. And the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. It's, it's, it's kind of hard, isn't it? <laughs> That's kind of an ouch statement. But he says, this is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Those who are amateurish in their knowledge and they're really confident. He says, that will lead you to a dark place. So don't be overconfident about what you know, the Bible didn't need researchers to come along and study the Dunning-Kruger effect to come to the conclusion that we all have a tendency when we're at our most ignorant to be the most confident, which is precisely the point at which we are least likely to change our minds. It's exactly the point that we're least likely to change our minds. So here's a few principles that you can take from this. Here's the first one. Um, don't believe everything you think. I, can't for, I, I will never forget the first time someone told me this. Think about this for a second. Don't believe everything that you think. Just because you think it does not mean it's true. But you will be, by the way, very prone to believe it. A different proverb said this. Well, there we go. Uh, enthusiasm without knowledge is no good. Enthusiasm without knowledge is no good. Look, you can be enthusiastic about it. But without any knowledge, that's no good. It's no good. Don't believe everything that you think. Here's a second principle. Don't believe everything that your tribe tells you to believe. Just because your friends say it, just because the people you trust say it, doesn't mean it's true. Again, Paul, he wrote this. He said, do not be conformed to this world. So whatever your tribe is saying, he says, don't be conformed to that, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of mind. So don't believe everything you think, and don't believe what everybody else tells you to think. Here's another principle you can take from this. Three quick things. Know what you know. You should, there are some things you should be confident about because you've thought about it. You know, you've studied it. You've looked into it. Maybe it's your area that you're majoring in. Maybe it's a topic that you spend a lot of time reading about. But you should know what you know. The second thing is you should know what you don't know. Okay? So there's going to be some things that you should be able to say, yeah, I, I have some ideas about this. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know everything. And then know what you don't know. Okay? Know what you know. Know what you think you know. And know what you don't know. Those are three great principles that you can live by. And so you can ask yourself the question, do I know what I know? Do I know what I think I know I know? And do I know what I don't know? The first category, the things that you know, that's going to be the smallest category. I hate to break it to you. We don't know a lot, okay? And so that's always going to be the smallest category. The biggest category is going to be the things you don't know, okay? There's a lot of things you don't know. You have no idea about them. The most dangerous category are the things you think you know. Those are the places where you will have the hardest place changing your mind because you will be overconfident because you don't know enough about it. And so one way that we fight that in our lives, this is what I try to do, is the first thing we do is we just become the kinds of people who are humble enough to ask questions. Unless you're talking about something that you know, and you know you know it. Not just I read a news article, I saw a tweet, I listened to this reel, I saw this TikToker. That's not, that, that goes in the categories of things I think I know, <laughs> but I probably don't know. If it's not in that category, 
listen. If you're talking to someone else, they might actually be an expert in that area. And even if they aren't, they might have some perspectives that could enlighten you, that you could grow with. I have to do this all the time. I mean, just the other day, I was grabbing lunch with a guy. He's a school board member here at, at, in, in the city of Columbia school board, CPS. And he was getting together with me because I had said something on a podcast. He thought, hey, I don't know if that's totally right. And I sat down with him. I go, you know what? I'm not on a school board. So you know what category we're in? Things I think I know. <laughs> I know some things about a school, but I don't know much about it. And we spent two hours, and I just asked him questions for two hours. And we had so much fun, and I learned so much in that two hours of me just asking him questions. We're just trying to get together again so we can hang out and grab lunch because it was a great learning experience for the both of us. If you ask questions, your life will be so much better. You want to, know, you want to be an interesting person? You want to know what interesting people are? Interesting people are interested people. Think about it. The most interesting person you probably met was someone who was interested in you. Listen, ask questions. Know the things that you think you know. Uh, but here's the other thing. Admit when you don't know. Admit when you don't have enough information. I feel like I lived through this constantly during the entire COVID period. Maybe you guys felt this too. Did you, anybody here know like a, a lot of COVID experts? I knew a lot of COVID experts. I will never forget uh, sitting across the table from a guy. He was pontificating about COVID, and I'm thinking in my head, you literally haven't been in a biology class for 40 years. Like, you haven't thought about science since then. And so I kind of said that. I go, hey, man, like, I appreciate your perspective, but maybe you're exaggerating. And I, I kid you not, he pulled out his phone, he pulled up his YouTube app, and he showed me his YouTube history of all the COVID videos that he'd watched as proof of his expertise. Now, you know, that's fine. I'm glad he was interested, but he's not a doctor. He's not a public health expert. He didn't really know what he was talking about. He was really good at watching YouTube, though. And so when people would ask me my perspective on COVID, it just would frustrate them. They want me to come down, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm for masks. I'm for this. This is what we should do. I would always just look at him. I'd say, look, the last time I took a biology class was when I was in 10th grade. So you're talking to a 10th grader who probably doesn't remember half of it. And so here's my take. I know what I don't know, <laughs> and I don't know much about COVID, and I don't know much about biology, and so I'm going to defer to people who know much more than me and trust them, and they're not going to get it right. They're not going to get it perfect. I know that. However, they know a lot more than I do. Why do we have a hard time admitting that we're wrong? It's because we haven't taken seriously the Bible's message that we should be humble, that, that's, that's the real trouble that I think that we've run into, is that we haven't just taken Kendrick Labar's lesson, take, sit down and be humble. We haven't taken the Bible's message of saying, be careful about being overconfident in your knowledge because it could lead you to Sheol. It could lead you to a dark place. And the beauty is, if you stop being overconfident, not only will you be much less ignorant because you'll ask a lot more questions, you will learn so much more in your life. Christians should be the first people who are willing to say, I don't know. I, I got that one wrong. I have to do this all the time. I have to apologize all the time. I, I, I thought I knew that. I didn't, I didn't know that at all. That is a beautiful way to live. That is the way of humility. And it's how we should walk and how we should live. But one of the questions that I think I've tried to wrestle with here is, why are we so confident in our ignorance? And remember I said this thing has layers to it, right? Because it is a little bit weird. Like when you're ignorant, why are you so stinking confident? And I think that there's an answer to this. But, but first I need to say that, this. One of the problems that we run into as we're dealing with this question of why it's hard to admit that we're wrong is, is that it's a human problem. And if you look out there, this isn't just Christians. It's people on the left. It's people on the right. Everybody wants to appear omni-intelligent. 
right? If you watch CNN, they look omni-intelligent. They know all. They see all. They understand all. If you watch Fox, they want to appear omni-intelligent. They know all. They see all. If you're on TikTok and you've got your favorite blogger or your favorite influencer, they know all. They see all. Everybody wants to project this sense of omni-intelligence. And what ends up happening to a lot of Christians is that we buy into their omni-intelligence. And instead of taking Jesus' words seriously about being humble and admitting when we're wrong, well, here's what we end up doing. We end up taking Jesus, we saddle up the elephant, and we put him on top. We end up taking Jesus, we saddle up the donkey, and we put Jesus on top. And the point isn't that Jesus is directing the donkey or that Jesus is directing the elephant. The point is that the elephant and the donkey are directing Jesus. We allow Jesus to become a mascot for our political ideology, or whatever ideology we believe in, but he's not really in charge. And so this is why so many Christians look overconfident. It's because they're not really being Christian. They're not acting Christian. Instead, they're acting like the tribe that they put Jesus on top of, that they've treated him like a mascot for. And that's how we end up becoming overconfident and not wanting to admit that we're wrong. It's not because we're being serious Christians. It's actually quite the opposite. It's that we've bought into the lie that our party, our tribe, our ideology, it is omni-intelligent. You see, the, here's the, the, the next layer of all of this. It's that one reason we become very confident is tribalism. See, one of the reasons that we start thinking that we're right is because our tribe tells us that we're right. I, I can only explain this one way. I have to talk about toilets for a second, okay? How confident are you, personally? How confident are you that you understand how a toilet works? Like, if I asked you today, just sit down and describe for me, you know, how the system evacuates your evacuations. Like, how does it go? How does that thing work? How does the water pressure and the sewage system and the tubes and the things? I don't know how it works, clearly. I'm just up here trying to describe. How do you know how it works? Well, here's, here, here's the deal. Um, <laughs> you don't know, unless you're a plumber. If you're a plumber, then you actually probably do know how it works. And this is how we store knowledge. You see, knowledge is not actually stored in individuals. You don't know everything about everything. The way human communities work is that we store knowledge within the community. We expect the community to house our collective knowledge. What's that mean? It means that we expect plumbers to know how plumbing works, electricians to know how electricity works. We expect grocers to know how food distribution works. We expect lenders to know how lending works. We expect teachers to know how teaching works. We don't expect everyone to know how everything works. That's not our expectation. Instead, we store our knowledge across groups. Now, this is great because if you had to know everything that you needed to live your daily life, you would be up a creek without a paddle. You don't need to know how the air conditioning goes and how the little locking system works and how your car turns. You don't have to understand every detail. It just kind of works for you because our community has stored the knowledge. This is an amazing gift. And really, at its root, this is a survival technique. See, back in ancient times when people were mostly living in nomadic tribes, um, it turns out that storing the knowledge across the community was a survival technique. Here's why. Your brain, it makes up about 2% of your weight, okay? It's only 2% of your body. That little 2% of your body accounts for 20% of your metabolic energy. 
20% of the energy that you expend is on 2% of your body. Thinking is really costly. Now, here's why that matters for ancient people. The average ancient person lived in a constant caloric deficit. In other words, they were always hungry. In fact, the average ancient person spent 60 days a year going hungry. We're so overfed, we can't even imagine that, right? But they spent 60 days a year going hungry. Now, if you're hungry a lot and using your brain requires a lot of calories, what's a great way to save on calories? Think less. That's how you survive. And so you can't know everything. You can't think through everything. So we trust the tribe. (laughs) The tribe's going to store the knowledge. We trust the tribe to be right. In a lot of ways, that's wonderful, right? Because when the tribe is right and the tribe is working together, you can build cities. You can do amazing things collectively with one another. But, of course, you already see the problem. Tribes get a lot of things wrong as well. And if you go against the tribe, what's going to happen to you? You're going to get pushed out. <laughs> if you don't go with the tribe, you can get out of the tribe. And if you're out of the tribe, you can't survive. And so we are literally hardwired in our brains to trust what our tribe says. You and me. We're all exactly the same. We're hardwired to trust what the tribe says. And see, this is why we're so overconfident. It's not merely that we're ignorant. It's that our tribe said it's so. It's that our tribe said it's so. Again, this goes back to exactly what I just said earlier. You see, the reason why you're confident about your knowledge is because someone in your tribe said, hey, you should read this article. Hey, you should listen to this podcast. Hey, you should check out this video. And because they're in our tribe and they look like us or they think like us or they have our ideology, we don't even begin to question, hey, maybe this thing's wrong. Or even more importantly, hey, maybe I've only watched one thing on this and I don't actually know what I'm talking about. Because the tribe says it, we feel deeply confident that it must be true. Again, this is true of political ideologies. This is true of partisan groups. They come out and they say, we're omni-intelligent. I mean, look at our platform. Look at our politics. We know the exact right thing for every single position. We know it all. They exude that confidence. And we, who are hardwired for tribalism, we love that stuff. (laughs) We love that stuff. We want to buy in. The problem for Christians is that we're called not to buy in. The problem for Christians is that Jesus doesn't want to ride an elephant. He doesn't want to ride the donkey. He doesn't want to be a mascot for your favorite ideology. Your ideology, your political group, I promise you, they have lots of things wrong. There's lots of things that they think they know that they don't really know. And you and me, all of us, we are prone to buy in because the tribe said it's so. Here's the thing. The Jesus tribe We're supposed to be different. Christians should be the first people who can admit when they're wrong, who can admit when they don't know. In Matthew 23, 12, I think Jesus puts this incredibly well. He says that for us, he says, whoever exalts himself, whoever's the overconfident and competent person, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The next time you're in an argument about something that if you were just honest, you don't actually know a lot about. You might think you do in the moment, but you don't know a lot about. What if you just thought that verse in your head? Oh, wait a second. Who's getting exalted here? 
Because if I'm being proud and overconfident, Jesus warns me I will be humbled. And he says whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And so if I just became humble right now and asked questions and said, hey, I have to admit I don't really know a lot about this. Yeah, you might not look like the most impressive person in the world, but you have realized which tribe you actually belong to. You belong to the Jesus tribe. This is the one tribe that admits. It admits when it's wrong. It's one tribe that admits when it's wrong. How are you doing on your humility meter? Are you able to admit when you're wrong? Uh, Let's take a little test together, okay? This is our little humility test. This is going to be fun. I took this test. I had to sit down and be humbled afterwards, okay? Um, You're not going to know the answer to every question on this test. I'm sorry to whoever's doing slides because I'm going way out of order right now. So this is my fault. But if you can find the test, it's got a bunch of different questions. Oh, man. Claps for you. Okay, thank you. Um, Okay, here we go. Answer this questions. Okay, answer each one of these questions. And as you answer them, I want you to think about how confident you are about your answer, okay? First question, why is English the official language of the United States? I wish we had Jeopardy music playing. That'd be awesome. Okay, on which space flight did humans first see the Great Wall of China? How many people did Paul personally kill before he became a Christian? What job did Walt Disney have before he drew Mickey Mouse? Why were women burned at the stake in Salem, Massachusetts? Why did Cuban immigrants increase joblessness in Miami? Okay. These aren't aren't the easiest questions. Now, I want you to take your guess, okay? And I want you to, just on a scale of 1 to 10, like the one you're most confident about, how confident are you? 10 being like, man, I am super confident about this one. I got this one down, right? One being, I have no idea what the answer is, okay? Well, you got it in your head? And keep in mind, I've taken this test too. So what I'm about to do to you, I've already done to myself, okay? This was a trick question. <laughs> Every one of these is a trick question. If you think you had an answer to all of these, you were wrong because they're all based on false premises. Here, let me show you what I mean. Why is English the official language of the United States? English is not the official language of the United States, so there is no why. Okay, on which space flight did humans first see the Great Wall of China? Uh, Well, as it turns out, you can't actually see the Great Wall of China from space, so no one's ever seen it from space. Uh, Number three, hey, how did people, uh, how many people did Paul personally kill before he became a Christian? Uh, He he didn't kill anyone before he became a Christian. He watched other people do it, but he didn't do it himself. Okay, Uh, what job did Walt Disney have before he drew Mickey Mouse? Fun fact, Walt Disney didn't draw Mickey Mouse. Okay, five, why were women burned at the stake in Salem, Massachusetts? You guessed it, there were no women burned at the stake in Salem, Massachusetts. And why did Cuban immigrants increase joblessness in Miami? Well, they didn't actually increase joblessness in Miami, so there is no why behind it. Now, any of these, if you were like me, you had a handful, you thought, I think I've got a good guess here. And I'm guessing as I went through these, you learned something. You're like, oh my gosh, you can't see the Great Wall of China from space? I mean, the first time I heard that, my mind was blown. I was like, for sure you can see it from space. You can't actually see it from space. Now, I'm giving you this humility test just to highlight for you. You see how easy it is to be overconfident in our ignorance. You see how easy it is. Like, I put this one down here. Why do Cuban immigrants increase joblessness in Miami? This was a false premise that was circled by certain political people, and it was false. It was entirely made up, but people believed it because their tribe told them it was so. 
You see, this is why it's hard for Christians to admit that they're wrong. It's because we're human. <laughs> it's because we're human. Humans are often confidently ignorant. Humans are often bought into their tribes. But Jesus gives us another way. I'm going to read you a story that there are some people who wish, literally wish, did not exist inside the Gospels. This is from the Gospel of Mark. Um, context for this, Jesus is out with his disciples. I guess they're having a really, you know, just kind of tough time in ministry. And so they decide that they're going to go on a little vacation to an area where there was no other Jewish people. It was primarily Gentile. So they're going kind of to a, you know, a, a little break in a foreign land. And when they get there, they're having a nice meal. They're enjoying some wine, some bread. And this uh, Gentile woman, she's a Syrophoenician woman, she walks into the room. And she has this really jarring interaction with Jesus. So let's pick up in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus said to her, let the children be fed. <laughs> I, I should give some more context here, I just realized. Uh, look, she, she asked him to heal her daughter. She says, hey, would you heal my daughter, please? She's sick. Will you help her? No, this is the drawing part. Jesus said to her, let the children be fed first. He's talking about his fellow Jews. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Ouch, Right? This feels yucky. Let's keep going. But she answered him, yes, Lord. Yet, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go on your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed with the demon gone. What in the world do you do with that? What is going on here, right? There's two major ways that people have interpreted it, and you can pick which one you think makes the most sense. Okay, here's the first way. Jesus isn't saying what he actually thought. He was not saying, you're a dog, and I'm not going to help you Gentiles. He was saying what his disciples thought. And he was saying what his disciples thought because he knew that the woman was going to respond the way she did, and then he would heal her daughter and would tell the disciples, you think you're so right about Jewish supremacy? Wrong. Or... The Bible says that Jesus grew in wisdom. That's Luke 2.52. He grew in wisdom and understanding. And so that means that there were probably some things that Jesus thought and later on in life realized, huh, I got that one wrong. I thought about that thing the wrong way. And so some people say, no, what's happening here is Jesus came in and he expressed what his tribe thought. And when that woman spoke, it clicked in for him. All of the Old Testament scriptures talking about the blessing coming to the Gentiles. And he said, you're totally right. Now, I don't know which of those two versions it is, okay? You can pick which one it is, but here's what you can take away for the disciples, for anyone who follows Jesus. Jesus will call you to change your mind. If you were an ancient Jew who thought this stuff isn't for Gentiles, let's keep those people out of here, Jesus calls you, change your mind. Change how you think. If you are in the Jesus tribe, you are called to be humble. You are called to change your mind sometimes. That's part of the expectation. That's part of what we're called to do. Proverbs 15.33 says that humility comes before honor. Do you want honor in your life? Sit down. Be humble. Humility comes before honor. We had the chance to interview a best-selling author, Philip Yancey, on our podcast. And we asked him, he's written a lot of best-selling books, hey, if you could go back and change anything about your books, what would you do? And this is what he told us. He said, I might add this little phrase a lot more often, but I could be wrong. 
Because when you get older, you realize, I could be wrong. It's helpful to add that so that the reader can make up his own mind. See, Philip Yancey, he's right. He's got the Jesus tribe down pat. I could be wrong. Part of following Jesus is listening. Part of following Jesus is being humble. And the beauty is that when you do that, you will learn so much. You will learn so much. We shouldn't listen to the tribes, the political tribes, the ideological tribes. They, they present it as though they're omni-intelligent. They got everything figured out. They know exactly what they're supposed to do. They know everything about everything. They don't. We worship a great God who actually is omni-intelligent. Trust him. Don't put him on a donkey or an elephant. That is silliness. Trust the lamb. Trust that he knows what he's doing. And trust this. God might be omni-intelligent. He didn't design you to be. He didn't design me to be. God might know everything, but he didn't design you to know everything. And that is wonderful. God put limits on your knowledge. God put limits on what you can know. And here's why I say that's wonderful. Because that means that we get to spend our lives learning and exploring and discovering new things that we would have already known had we already known everything about everything. You are going to spend eternity resurrected with Jesus, not just worshiping on some cloud in the sky. You'll be building things. You'll be doing science. You'll be learning. And you know what? There's going to be things that you thought about scientific thought. And like, oh my gosh, we got that wrong now. We know that this is true. This is the beauty of what it means to follow Jesus. It means admitting and knowing when we're wrong. And we can only do that if we know the greatness of our God, who does always, by the way, get it right. So I have a challenge for, for all of you. Um, we did this a while back at the Crossing, our church here. And um, we had this idea. We're like, hey, we're going to give everybody $5 gift cards to Lakota. And here's the challenge. Go out to Lakota and invite a friend who you disagree with and just listen to them. Just ask them questions. Just find out what are, what are they interested in? What are the things that they're experts in? You're not defending yourself. You're not sharing your ideas. You're just going to sit down and say, if the way of Jesus is that humility comes before honor, if the way of Jesus is to listen and to know that there will be times when I change my mind, if the way of Jesus is not uh, incompetent ignorance, then, man, I can sit down with you. And I can ask you a question. I mean, how beautiful would that be if Veritas was known on campus as that campus ministry that didn't walk around telling everybody else what they should think about everything because we're omni-intelligent and we got it all figured out, but sat down with people and said, hey, I want to I know what you think. I want to understand you because Jesus wants to understand you. Because I don't have to be afraid of your ideas. Because I've got Jesus. He is great. So I think on the way out, we're going to have these out at the welcome desk. I want to challenge you to pick one of these up. Take a friend out. One of the saddest things that happened when we did this at the crossing <laughs> was the amount of people who came up to me. They go, I don't know anybody I could take out who disagrees with me. If that's you, take the card and find someone. Get outside your tribe. Meet someone new and explore the beauty of living in the tribe of Jesus where we embrace humility and kindness, where we listen. I'm going to pray for us, and the worship team is going to come back up. Jesus, you are all-knowing. You sit on the throne. You know everything. You are in charge of everything. And because of that, we can feel free to know that we don't know everything, that we aren't in charge of everything, that we don't have to have absolutely everything figured out in our lives.
Jesus, I pray you just put some thoughts on our hearts right now. Maybe there's some of us out here who have hurt some relationships because we were overconfident and incompetent, because we were confidently ignorant, because we bought hard into what the tribe says, because that influencer, that blogger, that podcaster, that article, they are, they're right, they're in the tribe. Jesus, I just pray we would repent of that stuff. You don't ride on a donkey. You don't ride on an elephant. You are a king who calls us to follow you. And so, Jesus, I pray that as our king, you would call us to walk in your path, which is the path of humility, the path of asking questions, the path of admitting when we're wrong, the path of admitting what we know, what we don't know, what we think we know. Jesus, I pray that you would make this a community of people that is known for curiosity, that is known for asking loving questions. I pray that you would give us the gift of your humility. It's your name that we pray.